All right, I am here for a chat, and I have with me the Honorable Mayor of St. Louis, Tashara Jones. Uh, Mayor Jones, welcome to the Heartland Pod, and how are you doing? I'm well. Thank you for having me. It's uh, very exciting. Uh, a lot of big fans uh, in the Heartland Pod of what you're doing there uh, in St. Louis, and I, I want to, first of all, start by, I want to zoom out, uh, and I want to talk about the relationship of Missouri state government and, and cities. And, and I realize we could, you know, <laughs> we could spin a wheel, you know, of, you know, bad policies and offensive policies and unconstitutional policies that are being floated. Oh, it seems like hourly right now. Um, but I work with a lot of cities, the vast majority of their decisions are being made in house, right. By the folks who live in that community, including how their law enforcement is funded, how much money to spend fixing their streets. And yet in our major cities, the state legislature seems driven to come in and tell the folks who live there, this is how the cow's going to eat the cabbage. Now, you've, you've served at the state level. You did a couple terms in the House. Can you compare what you're seeing coming at you now as the mayor of St. Louis versus you know, what that looked like you know, a decade ago when you were serving in the House? Yes. So I'm a recovering legislator. And... <laughs> And when I was in the state house, I actually tried to pass a bill to grant uh, St. Louis and Kansas City local control of their police department. And I was thwarted by um, none other than the incomparable Jeff Rorta himself. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, this is something that I have worked on for my entire legislative career or my I'll say my paid career in politics. Yeah. And what Jefferson City is doing um, is undemocratic, period. Uh, it's an attack on democracy and no one can tell me how it's going to make St. Louis and safer. Because right now, our chief has one boss, me. Right. And how is bringing in five unelected bureaucrats over my chief going to make us safer? You know, this, we're at a point in St. Louis where we're trying new things. We're bringing in new, fresh eyes on government. And our chief is one of them. He's the first external chief that we've hired in the city's history. And he's got experience in some big cities, some small cities. And he is uh, he's off and running. He just celebrated his first 100 days last week. And in those first 100 days, uh, you know, violent crime is down, homicides are down, uh, property crime is down, except for uh, car thefts because of our Kia and Hyundai uh, issues. So we're yes. taking them actively to court along with several cities and states across this country. But no one can tell us how it's going to make us safer. If they wanted to make us safer, they would pass common sense gun uh, gun laws like expanded back uh, universal background checks and red flag laws and bringing back licensing. Yeah. How important do you think that is the, the, the aspect of having an external chief um, that can come into a situation where we need something? I mean, obviously something has to happen when you're dealing with high crime rates and, and just trying to get a handle on something, you know, anybody who pays attention to politics in in general has at least seen some, you know, something out of, you know, what happened around St. Louis, around Ferguson and around, you know, there's, there's been national stories that have bubbled up. Right. And so, um, I, you know, as somebody who deals in uh, municipal courts, I have felt that ripple effect that, that has come down through some of the uh, regulations that have been passed and the new laws that have been passed. 
how, how important do you think that is to have that person who can come in and say, I don't know this problem from its old version. I get to look at it with this sort of, you know, fresh set of eyes. Oh, it's super important. And that's what we've done with other departments uh, instead outside of law enforcement and city government. Our streets department is being run by uh, someone who was who's, who, who didn't rise up through the ranks. Uh, she was um, an engineer at MoDOT. Uh, so she comes with her own set of experiences. Our Department of Health is now being run by the uh, by an infectious disease uh, specialist uh, who uh, is actually African by um, by nationality. So I am all for bringing in a fresh set of eyes and taking a look at old problems and bringing new ideas and innovative ideas to solve old problems. It feels like you know watching it. Uh, from afar, that there there are a lot of folks with uh, I'm trying to figure out a way to put this, and I think I think I put my finger on the right way to say this. There's a lot of folks with a six three six area code who really want to talk about how the three one four ought to be run. You better preach. <laughs> you better preach. <laughs> I mean, how does that feel from where you're sitting and seeing that you know? whether it's the social media messaging, the, you know, the videos that are coming out from Jeff City when they're, you know, when they're talking about the crime issues, you know, but these are folks who will still post a picture of themselves, you know, uh, they, they might say they're not going to drink a Bud Light, they might, they might hit one with a baseball bat, but they're damn sure going to stand there with a Bud product standing in Bush Stadium with a big smile on their face while they complain about crime rates at the same time. Well, if they're that scared, they should stay at home, watch it on TV. <laughs> Um, because, and I'm not saying that, you know, St. Louis is totally safe, um, but I'm saying that we are making progress. Yeah. And, you know, for for people who don't live here, they have an awful lot, a lot to say about how we should govern ourselves, yeah. but they have no solutions. They don't come to North St. Louis and meet with our children um, and, and, and talk to our children about how they come to school every day, traumatized from events that have happened the night before or the week before. Right. Uh, they talk to mothers who are trying to navigate our, our public uh, transportation system to drop their kid off at school and then get to work. They don't know the struggles of any of our people. And I always say that the people closest to the problems are closest to the solutions. Yeah, it, 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 there is some, some seems to be this kind of absurd expectation, right, that that crime just won't exist. Right. It's just going to be magical and there's not going to you have a huge you know, you have a population center. More people equals more crime anyway. Right. If we're talking about just counting statistics right. um, and that's not the same as per capita. You know, the, there's different statistics you can look at. So, of course, crime is going to seem higher in a higher population area than a lower population area. But this idea that there's no crime in, you know, in in more rural areas a, it's absurd, but B, it also just speaks to the fundamental, uh, you know, I listened to your state of the, of the city address and you talked about uh, Dr. King's message about, uh, you know, economic justice. And it really speaks to that issue when you when you deal with the fact that, you know, crime and, and, and economic justice, you know, poverty issues and, and crime rates are the same. They're, they're the same thing. Right, right. And it doesn't matter what color you are. If you are poor or experiencing poverty or or you know, have lack of access to resources, you're gonna find a way um, to, to alleviate that, whether right. you're white, black, Asian, whatever you are. Right, desperation doesn't know skin color, it doesn't know ethnicity, exactly. it knows, doesn't know geography or zip code. 
Exactly. It doesn't. Um, but neither do our solutions either. You know, I right. I would love to, uh, you know, we're we're in the pro- we're in the process of putting together a regional crime summit. Uh, regional being, you know, uh, St. Charles, St. Louis County, um, Franklin, Jefferson, Madison, St. Clair, um, and Monroe counties, because we all sit on the East-West Gateway uh, Council of Governments. Mm-hmm. And I'm the I'm currently the vice chair. And we usually talk about transportation issues, but I, I took them to the next level. I said, hey, we need to talk about crime as a region and talk about this, some solutions and not just downstream solutions of more police and, you know, and more prosecutors and hold and, and putting people in jail. And while we do want to hold people accountable for the crimes that they commit, we also have to look upstream. Yeah. We have to look at what's causing this and, and eradicating poverty or reducing it is better for everybody. You, you did mention the, the more prosecutors thing. I'd be remiss if I didn't at least ask how hard it is to deal with, you know, what's, what's going on in the circuit attorney's office paired with what happens from the state level and it, how much it complicates whatever issues are, are, are popping up there. Oh yeah, they are def- they have definitely conflated uh, the issues um, going on in the prosecutor's office with what goes on in the police department. And um, you know, and I'm taking excuses off the table when it comes to our police. You know, before it was police weren't being paid, um, and they and and their uh, their salaries weren't compatible with the region. Well, they just approved and overwhelmingly approved a new contract yeah. uh, to bring their uh, salaries on par with the rest of the with with you know, or make them competitive along with benefits. Um, and, you know, we also have, again, we also have a new police chief who's doing new and innovative things and bringing those things to the table. Um, so and I'm just saying to the state legislature, give our police chief an opportunity to do his work, to do, yeah. to do things that he knows works. Well, and the last time I checked, the folks in St. Louis elected you to lead the city uh, and they did not ask the folks in Jefferson City to lead your city. I mean, that's, exactly. so that's my understanding of how it works. Anyway. <laughs> and that's how it works in every other city in this country. Yeah. Um, that they elect their local elected leaders to lead those cities, to lead their police departments. But somehow in St. Louis and Kansas City, it seems to be different. And, and we see this attack going on, not just here, but other places in the country. We saw what happened in Jackson, Mississippi, where they created right. a whole new district. Um, uh, and, and expanded the powers of the state police there. Yeah. And, you know, and it, it doesn't take a long time to figure out the common threads in the places where those things are occurring. Um, I mean, it's just not that hard to look at and go, well, I, here's a really obvious thing. Uh, I guess it could be that, um, because the other explanations don't really make sense. Uh, as far as I can tell, I do want to shift gears a little bit and we're going to stay, stay in the government aspect, but. So like I mentioned, I work with multiple city governments. Um, now combine the cities I deal with, you know, we're talking about rural cities. So even all of the cities I deal with are smaller than your one uh, city, but access to city resources, inefficiencies of city government, they're always issues that can be addressed, whatever the site, whether you got three people, 30 people, 300 people in your government, you still have to address those things. And one way that you seem to be doing that is you know, your modernization and streamlining uh, of a lot of things going on in your city. You touched on that uh, some in your state of the city. And, you know, you talked about not just, you know, what you're doing, but also the way that that positively impacts residents. And it has this sort of rising tide impact on on the community, the broader community, having a government that operates as 
uh, a phrase that I, I hope I've coined this phrase. If not, uh, apologies to whoever did, but I, I like to think of it as, a, you know, the government as a commodity of the people. And it seems like that's the, the approach that you've taken here. Support this show and all of the work in the Heartland Pod universe by going to heartlandpod.com and clicking the Patreon link to sign up. Membership starts at a dollar a month and goes up from there with extra shows and special access at the higher levels. Heartlandpod.com. Click the Patreon link or just go to Patreon and search for the Heartland Pod. No matter the level you choose, your membership helps us create these independent shows as we work together to change the conversation. Yeah, absolutely. You know, when we first got into office and we were awarded almost $500 million in ARPA funds, we went directly to the community and asked us, what do you want to see us do with this money? Yeah, um, We're doing the same thing with the RAM settlement money, asking them, what do you want to, uh, us to, what do you want us to do? Um, and, and giving them, you know, some parameters. We wanted to be transformational. We wanted uh, we want this investment to be something that gives us returns for many, many years to come. Mm-hmm. Same thing with, you know, our, our, our ARPA funds and, and we're making those investments, but also making internal investments to make sure that our city services, which have been teetering on the brink for decades, get the attention that they need in order for us to provide better services and people begin to trust government again. It's one of those interesting sort of, you know, uh, folks want to say, well, if you're a progressive, if you're on the left, right, then you favor big government. And it's like, no, it's not so much big government, right? You're, You're cutting bureaucratic issues, you're cutting red tape, you're making things smaller. And yet at the same time, by doing so, you're actually increasing government service, increasing, you know, the ability for the government to be a useful tool in people's lives, which I think is where that disconnect is. It's not about the size of government, it's about the effectiveness of government. Right. Government should work for the people, not the other way around. Yeah. So you spent time in healthcare before you got into politics. You spent time with kids in healthcare before you got into politics. How did that shape your politics? And and I ask that because I I so upstairs, I'm actually working from home today, not just because of this interview, but I have a six year old daughter in a wheelchair who has essentially been in a, in her room for weeks now. Uh, we have to deal with a lot of things. Uh, we we have an oxygen machine. You know, we have basically everything you can imagine from a from a hospital room. And her story, her struggles, what we've dealt with as a family, absolutely shaped. Uh, you know, it's the reason I was willing to get on a microphone and put my name on something and put it in front of people. Um, and I've got to imagine that 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 continues to be a thread that you know in, in your your decision making. Yes, absolutely. You know, I worked at Cardinal Glennon Children's Hospital and I also worked at an FQHC or Federally Qualified Health Center in the community. And I see how health is related to everything that we do in city government, everything that we affect, um, which is why I wanted to bring in a medical doctor to lead our health department, uh, a licensed medical doctor to lead our health department. And our, our health director has two young children of her own. Um, And this is the first time that we've actually increased the budget of the health department because I wanted our health department uh, to be functional. I wanted to make sure that we're out in community um, uh, talking about the things that are affecting our communities. And right now, uh, you know, we behavioral health is a huge piece uh, of our of our community outreach. We just stood up our first behavioral health unit 
uh, in the health department to connect people to resources coming out of this pandemic. We saw mental health rise to the top when people were isolated socially yeah. um, and away from their family and friends. So we have to uh, find other ways to make people whole again. And, and it all sort of, you know, we want to talk about solutions to one thing and not realize, you know, addressing that, that, that public health, mental health issue, you know, we're, we, we, we talked about red flag laws just a little bit ago, right? That that is something that would make more sense, uh, you know, as a solution to, to violent crime and, and, and gun crimes. And those two things, you know, there's a nexus there, right? There's a connection there that can't be lost that, you know, access to mental health services and red flag laws are absolutely part of the same solution. Absolutely, uh, because what we learned in the days following the shooting at Central Visual Performing Arts is that the young man who uh, who was the uh, the uh, suspect had mental health issues, and his right. mother had no recourse to get the gun taken away. Yeah, it was an unbelievable tragedy, and and for the response to it to not be right down that lane. Uh, but instead, yet again, right, it's another double down of why weren't there more police officers in that school? Why weren't the teachers armed in that school? And just missing the point of, you know, we have a, th this was a, a, a prime example, right, of right. mental health care and red flag laws and how those two things would mesh together to potentially have avoided the loss, this horrible tragedy. Right. We only lost three people that day and we and, and many, many, many others were injured yeah. and our police responded perfectly. Right. They couldn't have, they couldn't have done anything more perfect than their, their than their response. Um, they arrived and with they were arrived at the school and within um, eight to 10 minutes, it was over. Yeah, um, which is I think a disconnect that folks have with the law enforcement side is you know, you use the, the word response. That is really most of the, right, most of the time when law enforcement is involved with something, response is the word, right? right? They're not there. They're not stopping. You know, crime is typically going to be responded to, not stopped immediately, right. you know, not prevented. Um, right. I think, I think that's a disconnect that occurs there in the communication. Right. And that's the point I was trying to make um, in the call to action in my state of the city, Meet me upstream because right. downstream is where you have the law enforcement response. Yeah. Uh, upstream is where we can do more preventive work through jobs and opportunities and access to healthcare. Much more eloquently put than the way that I bumbled through it there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I'm going to shift gears a little bit. Uh, we're going to get you out of here, but I've got uh, something a little bit more fun to close with. Let me let me play this uh, play this music here. I grew up on Sound of Music, and that, that song will never oh, grow. Look, me too. I'm a Broadway <laughs> fiend. Well, then I'll start with that one. Uh, you, I know your first job was uh, working at the Muni. I've uh, spent plenty of hours at the Muni watching shows. Uh, mm. Love a good show. Uh, just got to catch Hamilton here in Kansas City a couple weeks ago. So favorite. Uh, doesn't have to be a musical, but I'm going to bet it's a musical. Favorite stage production. Uh, Porgy and Bess. Really? Okay. Well, I have to ask why. Um, it was actually when I started working at the Muni, 
Porgy and Bess was one of the first uh, black, all black operas I saw and I was mesmerized. Um, and it's only been back to the Muni once since then because I've, as I did my research about it, it is um, really hard on the actors or and the singers who actually perform this, this musical because it's really hard on their vocal cords. So that's why it's not done um, as much as it as much as we'd like to see it, but yes, love Porgy and Bess. Interesting. And Wiz cool. as a second favorite, as a as a number two. The Wiz is one of those like sneaky, way better than I think it gets credit for. You know, because it's kind of, you know, like the movie version is a little hokey, and so I think it sort of got a bad rap from that. But it's actually it's a very good show. It really is a good show with some with some bangers. You know, some really classic pieces that people sing all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, second favorite thing, uh, your favorite St. Louis hidden gem, that thing that you you get that, you know, for some reason, you've got nothing on the schedule and you get to take somebody who's out of town. You know, you've got two hours. You got to do this thing. This is the the quintessential hidden gem. The quintessential hidden gem in St. Louis for me um, is this little Chinese restaurant I love called House of Wong. I love their um their hot braised chicken. See, this I, is what I'm talking about. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's, you know, it's, the cop-out answer is like crown candy, right? Or you take them to Adriana's on the hill, right? But the, those are, people know those places. That That's what I'm talking about. That's that real, <laughs> that's the real knowledge. <laughs> um, la, Last favorite thing, and then I've got one more question. Uh, last favorite thing is favorite famous Missourian. Could be favorite. anybody. Doesn't have to be a politician, anybody. My favorite famous Missourian, uh, Sterling K. Brown. Oh, that's a great answer. And he's good looking too. He is a good looking guy. Yeah, <laughs> he's very good. And he's just, uh, you know, it's impossible not to just have feel. You know, he just everything he does is just like an emotion. Like <laughs> every he line he delivers. Cold. I loved him in This Is Us. I was yeah. so connected with that character. Just I know him, I know him best as the guard in Frozen Two, so that's that's where my world is at right now. <laughs> right, you have a you have a seven year old, of course. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, all right, final question, and and I may not be able to get you to answer this one. Um, this might be too much of a political heater to get you to answer it. So, I I grew up on the east side of the state. I went to law school in Columbia. I now live on the west side of the state. I've sampled it all. Uh, I'm a barbecue fiend. So in St. Louis, a lot of people on this side of the state like to throw a lot of shade at St. Louis on the barbecue now. But I, I, they also, when I say pork steak, they go, what now? And I say, let me let me introduce you to some wonderful uh, gold here. <laughs> so the question is this, pappies or salt and smoke? Oh, um. Would it be bad if I said neither? Because I have a favorite. That no, I would. I would like to hear your answer then, because that I'm. I'm. Yeah, please. My favorite is Freddie Lee's. Freddie Lee's. Okay, where's Freddie Lee's? He's in Soulard, and he has his own sauce called Freddie Lee's Ghetto Sauce. Okay, I'm in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so next interview live in person. It's at Freddie Lee's. It's done. That's that's the. Done. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, Mayor Jones, thank you very much for your time. You've been very generous. I know we need to get you out of here. And uh, thanks for stopping by the Heartland Pod. And uh, best luck with everything out there. Thank you so much. It was my pleasure. 
The Heartland Pod is a production of Midmap Media, LLC. Follow us on Twitter with at the Heartland Pod. With email, you can reach us, heartlandpod2020 at gmail.com. Online with heartlandpod.com. Subscribe and please sign up for our Patreon with patreon.com slash heartlandpod. Become a podhead or an official podgressive today and unlock all of our content. See you at the next show.